Good morning, everybody. <laughs> and for those of you who are joining us online, we welcome you as well. We have begun a series, or really a study, on the book of Romans. And our focus is going to be really Romans 3 through Romans 8. Okay, we're going to look at the rest of the book, but we're going to go a little bit faster, okay? Uh, last week, we looked at the first half of chapter 1, and we especially looked at verses 16 and 17, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And uh, the gospel is the main theme of the book of Romans. And here it says, and we, we're going to see it over and over, it is the power of salvation. It's so powerful, it can bring salvation to us. And I want us to just kind of, before we finish chapter 1, I want us to just kind of look at this a little closer. And let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It says, for the word of the cross, and by the way, that's another way of saying the gospel, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. And we've mentioned this before, but the word power in Greek really means like, it, it, it's, it's, it's the Greek word is dynamos, which we get the word dynamite. It's that type of power. It blows up. It explodes. It's something explosive. And that's the way God's power is. Let's go down to verse 23 and 24. Same chapter. But we preach Christ crucified. That's another way of saying the gospel. The word of the cross, the gospel, Christ crucified. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, like us, it's what? Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's the power of God. And if you kind of go into chapter 2, I mean, actually, I'd like to do a whole study on this sometime, but we're, just, we're not going to do that now. But in verse 2, it says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Again, the gospel, the word of the cross. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Let me just give you a background to this. Paul, when he preached in Athens... Athens was sort of the intellectual capital of the world in the time of the New Testament. And Paul, we've already kind of said, was a brilliant man. And so when he goes to, to Athens, he appeals to the people of Athens on the basis of reason, on the basis of intellect. You know, he, he quotes philosophers. And it says a few people came to know the Lord, but it wasn't like a large number. So when he went to Corinth, he says, he says, when I came to you, I determined to know nothing ex ex among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And verse 4, he says, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might, would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on what? The 
power of God. And the result was that many people came to know the Lord. See, the gospel, there's power. There's power in the word of the cross. In the message of Christ crucified. It's the power of God. And you might say, well, how is it the power of God? I mean, what, what does that mean exactly? Well, it's because only if we... If we, it's the power of God because only God can rescue us from our sin and from this world. You know, he, only He can kind of release us from the power, the enslaving power of sin. And only the gospel has the power to be able to transform a life. I can try to change my life, but it won't work, will it? Why is that? Because it's, it's, it's the, uh, it's, I, I can't do it. I don't have enough power. But the gospel does have power to do that. Okay. Another thing we talked about last week was in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And we're going to talk a lot about that in the weeks ahead. Um, we had an illustration from last time. It's my illustration. So it's not very good. But anyway, it's like the gospel it's power, you know, it's bursting forth, exploding forth. The righteousness of God, it's revealing the righteousness of God. And of course, faith is what's necessary to ignite this. Let's, uh, let's go to the rest. Let's go back to Romans. And um, Romans 1, verse 18, to the rest of the chapter, and all of chapter 2, and about halfway through chapter 3, it's all one theme. And there's a lot there. We're going to go through it pretty quickly. But the main message is this. We are sinful. Every one of us. All of us. In fact, in chapter 1, we see that the Gentiles, or the Greeks, those who, without, who do not have the law, they're sinful. Then in chapter 2, next week, we're going to see, and you know what? Those who have the law, those who are religious, Jews, they're sinful as well. And then in chapter 3, we're going to kind of see, actually, all of us are sinful. And, uh, and when we say sinful, we're talking about being self-centered, looking only after ourselves. We're rebellious in our hearts. We're corrupt. And I, I like that word, corrupt. Because something that has been corrupted, it means there's something that originally had a good purpose to it. There's something good originally to it. But it became tainted or it became contaminated with time. For example, if I have a big glass of, make it your favorite juice, you know, orange juice or pina or, you know, whatever it happens to be. And it's refreshing. It's ice cold. It's, it's pure. But if someone comes by and puts a couple drops of bitterness in it, what happens? It starts getting bitter. It becomes contaminated. It becomes corrupted. And if you put a lot more in it, it just gets to where, oh, I don't even want that. I don't like that type of juice anymore. The juice was, was originally pretty good, wasn't it? It just got contaminated. And that's the way our lives are. God made all our lives 
to be what? To be, he made us perfect. But in time, because we're living in this sinful world, we gradually become more and more corrupt. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, it says, it says, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. It just becomes, that's a, that's a principle of this world. Everything tends to get more and more corrupted. Psalm 53. Actually, I was just kind of looking at this passage this past week, but um, verses 1 through 3. It starts off, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And then it goes on, just talk about all of mankind. It says, they are corrupt and have committed abominable injustice. There is no one who does good. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands, who seeks after God. Every one of them has turned aside. Together they have, what? Become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. By the way, is that quoted somewhere in the New Testament? The answer is yes. Where would it be, where would it be uh, quoted? In Romans 3. He's going to be talking about it and just, we'll be getting to it the week after next. You know, but God's beautiful, this is what it's saying, God's beautiful creation. Man got contaminated. It became corrupt. Every one of us. Now, you might ask, Mike, why should we focus on the sinfulness of man? I mean, what is Paul doing that? Why does he start off Romans? Is he trying to just kind of scare people away from reading it? You know, is he, uh, you know, should we just kind of talk about the love of Jesus? Well, we do talk about the love of Jesus a lot. But it is important that we look at the bad news before we look at the good news. Remember, the gospel means good news, right? We need to look at the bad news. Uh, we need to see the contrast between living with God and living without God. And there is, there's a big gap. A jeweler, if you go into a jewelry, jewelry, jewelry store and, uh, and they are trying to show you some diamonds, you know what they do? They always have a backdrop of something maybe like a black cloth, maybe a, maybe a navy, a dark navy blue. You know, why is that? Because when you put the diamond on it, there's going to be the contrast. You're going to be able to see it, right? You know, you're never going to go into a jewelry store and kind of see maybe a piece of yellow cloth and then the jewels on it because it just doesn't shine as much, does it? Same thing with, a, with light. Um, I, I, I can remember, I think it was a high school stadium. I passed by once, and I remember as I passed by, I thought, I think those are lights on in that stadium. It's in the middle of the daytime. That's kind of odd, but I can hardly see the light. I remember going back another time, and, uh, and the, it was dark, and I could see the lights from blocks away. You know, I think it's a high school stadium, you know, because the lights shine better in what? Darkness. And the gospel 
shines better if we see it up against the reality of the darkness of this world. So it's important that we see this contrast between the kingdom of God and what the world offers. It's important that we see a contrast between new life in Christ and the old life that we've been called, that, we, that we're leaving behind. Seeing this contrast helps us appreciate God's gift of salvation. That we need a savior, we need it desperately. We need to be rescued. It'd be like if, if a person, I, I, I'm trying to kind of think of illustrations that can kind of see this, but you have this, you have this man or it could be a woman too, you know, they're in this nice pool of water, you know, at the beach and it's nice and refreshing. It's blue. There's sand underneath and they're relaxed. This is wonderful. This is good. What they don't see is that there's a school of sharks around kind of going around that person. You know, and they think, oh, I'm okay. Do they need to hear the bad news? Of course they do. They need to kind of hear that, hey, there's sharks in that water. It's time to get out. You know, I know it looks beautiful, but it's time to get out. And us, too, sometimes we live in this world. Oh, the world is so great. I enjoy making money. I enjoy buying stuff. Oh, yeah. Especially maybe some of you who kind of maybe come from other countries. Wow. You know, I can make $20 an hour, maybe $25 an hour. Wow, this is great. But we need to look at it at the backdrop of the world is also contaminated. It's corrupt. It's sinful. Seeing the contrast leads us to repentance. And repentance brings life and refreshing from God. Seeing the contrast leads us to, I'm going to invest totally in God's kingdom. Because why should I invest in anything else? Why should I invest in anything of this world? It's all getting contaminated. I think also seeing the contrast shows us our need to share with others, to preach to others, to bring the good news to everybody, to let the person who's kind of drowning, or not drowning, maybe he's kind of, I, I'm, I'm doing fine, I'm not drowning, but there's sharks around. We need, we, it gives us a burden to kind of go and say, listen, get out of there. I was kind of watching from that tower up there, and there's a bunch of sharks headed your way. And uh, we need to be able to do that. Everyone needs his gift of salvation. Whether they're Jews, Gentiles, religious, non-religious, good, bad, everyone needs it. Not only should we see the corruption of man, but we also need to see the consequences of sin. Because there are consequences of sin. Just in this first few chapters of Romans, it talks about the wrath of God. It talks about wrath and indignation. It talks about tribulation and distress for every soul. It talks about God's going to bring his just condemnation. So we need to kind of see that not only do we need to be rescued, but we need to see that we're in a dangerous, fatal position.
It's not if we're going to die, it's just a matter of when we're going to die. So that's part of the reason we want to look at the bad news. Okay? Okay, so let's look at verse 18. Let's look at 18 through 20 real quick. For the wrath of God, there it is, it starts off really, you know, really strong, is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and all ungodliness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Okay, last week we saw that one of the things we're going to see in the book of Romans is that the righteousness of God is going to be revealed. And here we see also the wrath of God is going to be revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Those who suppress the truth. And really, we don't have an excuse because it says here that God has made himself known to everybody, just through his creation. I mean, his invisible attributes. And it's true. Every person knows deep down because God put that inside of him that there is a God out there. You know, and he's got to be—he's got to be good to create all this, and uh, and it causes us to seek him, and uh, and God honors that. He has made himself known. No excuses. And then, verses twenty-one through thirty-two, we see described a downward spiral. A downward spiral of people, of societies, even institutions. And really, if I had to kind of summarize it, it would be this. Sin leads to more sin. It's kind of like a snowball. You know, you're pushing down a hill. What happens as it goes down? It just kind of gets more and more snow on it, right? Same thing with the avalanche. Avalanche kind of starts off like a little slot of snow. And then as it sli slides, what happens? It gets more and more. And then it goes faster and faster and faster. Same thing with a mudslide. That's the picture that I get when I read Romans 1. That all the world and us... Sin just kind of leads to more sin. We just kind of keep going. And it goes faster and faster, like an avalanche. And these verses tell that story. It starts off, let's just kind of go through this pretty quickly. Verse 21. For even though they knew God, you know, through his creation, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks. But they came futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. The downward spiral begins with something we don't even think is that bad. Not giving thanks to God. And when we not give thanks to God, what happens? We, we're complaining, we're grumbling, and you might say, why is that so bad? Because when we grumble or complain, what are we really saying? We're really saying, God, you're not doing things right. 
I don't like how you're treating me. I don't like how you did the weather today. I don't like how you made the economy. I don't like how you give us bad leaders. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like this. I don't like my parents. And God sees that as a rejection of his beautiful plan. And it's, it is a rejection. So when we don't honor God, when we don't say, God, thank you for life. I know there's a lot of bad things in it, but I just thank you for all the good things. When we don't have that thankful heart, we start slipping on that slope. That's how it starts. And then verse 22 and verse 23, it says, professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible men and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So what's happening here? Now they profess to be wise. You know, you know, I, I, I know it's right. I, I know it's right. You know, I can decide what's right. I can decide what I want to do. I don't need God. You know, if I really get in a jam, maybe I'll kind of call on him. I can do this myself. That is a serious step down this slope. All of a sudden, that avalanche is starting to kind of pick up. By the way, can an avalanche be reversed? No. You know, you can't have like a little machine or something and you see an avalanche coming down from out. You can't just push a button and all of a sudden it kind of oh, it stops. Once it gets started, you cannot stop it. Same thing with a mudslide. Same thing with the cycle of sin. Now you might say, like, this sounds very depressing to me. I know, it's the bad news that we're talking about. Okay? And, uh, and so, all of a sudden, we profess to be wise. We entertain ourselves by lofty ideas about how the world runs and, and, and this and our economy and how we should have our society and this and that. And you know what? We leave God out of the picture. And really the root of it is pride is taking root in our hearts. And when pride takes root in our hearts, all of a sudden we're going down faster. Now this is every person, every society, you can say every institution, anything that man touches, this tells their story. Okay, then it kind of says, verse 24 and 25, Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, three times as we go down this spiral, the scriptures say, and God gave them over. Here it says, God gave them over in the lust of their impurity. And we got to ask ourselves, what does it mean God gave them over? And, um, and the best way to explain it is this way, because I've kind of looked at this in the Greek and kind of looked at, you know, what does that really mean? First of all, if we are honoring God, if we are thanking God, we belong to him. God says that he will keep us in his hands. He will not desert us. He will not abandon us. But there is an if. We've got to be honoring him. And when it says that God gave them over, it really means 
that he just took down the guardrails. Basically, he's saying, I'm trying to hold you in my hand, and you keep trying to jump out. Okay, you know what? I'm going to let you jump out. I'm going to let you do your thing. Because I don't want to force you beyond your, beyond your will. And so God lets them go, basically. You know, he, one translation says, he abandoned them, he abandons them to their desires. You know, in other words, he said, okay, if that's what you really want, I will do that. And so over and over, we keep pushing the limits, pushing the limits. And God says, okay, you know what? My hand of protection, you don't want it. Okay, I'm just going to watch, but I'll be here when you're ready to come back. <laughs> so here he gives them over to the lust of their hearts. First um, John 2 verse 15 and 16 we can look at that you can look at that later but it talks about the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes the boastful pride of life lust means basically I want something and I want it more and more and I can't live without it and so you know it's uh, the lust of the eyes can be something that's it can be a good thing I love that nice car or that nice truck that Christian drives around, and I lust for it, and I can't think, wow, I can see myself driving in it. I think I'd do this to it. I'd kind of make a nice speaker system in it. I'd crank that music up. And you know what? Lust kind of just, it starts kind of, we get obsessed with it. I want that truck, or I want that car, or it could be anything. That's the lust of the eyes. I want that house, you know? And and God says, okay, you kind of keep wanting this and wanting that. Okay, I'm going to let you have it. Actually, in the book of Exodus, uh, yeah, Exodus, this happens. The people who are going through the wilderness, the sons of Israel, they were kind of complaining about this manna. We have this manna all day long. We have it for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner. And, uh, and we, you can only make it so many ways. Now, that was God's provision. He did that supernaturally. But they started complaining. And they said, we won't meet. You know? And so, what did God do? He said, okay, you won't meet. He caused a big flock of quail to kind of come in. And they were so exhausted that they just, from a migration, they just kind of sat there. And they went, and they just started eating that meat. And they, they just kept just feeding their face with it. And they ate and ate and ate. And what happened? They all got sick. <laughs> so sometimes God, to teach us a lesson, lets us have what we crave and lust for. So he, he uh, this is what he's talking about in this downward slope here. You know, and uh, it also kind of says in this section that they exchange the truth of God for a lie. In other words, they reject what God says. That if you trust me, I will take care of you. That's the truth of God. What's the lie? I can't trust God. You know, he's going he's gonna to let me down. He's going to, he's going to somehow, he's going to, he's going to get back at me. You know, he's angry with me. The truth of God is that he loves me. The lie is he hates me. He doesn't like me. And so what happens by this point is we're going down this downward spiral. We start rejecting everything that God says. And we start kind of taking the lies. And 
And by the way, that avalanche is just getting faster and faster. It's building up faster and faster. Okay, let's go on to verse 26. Still not listening for this reason. God gave them over to degrading passions. For the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own purposes the due penalty of their error. So here we see that God gives them over now to degrading passions. And uh, it mentions sexual passions specifically. But now the guardrails are completely off. I'm going to try anything. You know, God doesn't care for me. That's a lie. But I'm, re I'm rejecting the uh, truth of God. I'm taking lies. So, you know, I can do whatever I want. I can, I can rule my life. I can decide for myself. And so the whole thing, it just, it just goes down, 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 down. And so there's no guardrails at all. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper. So again, he gave them over again. And then it says, uh, let me just kind of read it. It says, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, and we're not finished, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they do not only, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. You, you know the thing that kind of impresses me about that part is now we're talking about issues of the heart. Greed, envy, strife, pride. Because, you know, it's this downward spiral, there's some people who, they don't go into every part of this. Maybe the degrading passions, they don't kind of go into that. But they do hit this. This is the bottom. Pride, slander, gossip, boastful. Now, you might be saying, I don't, this is, you mean... That's all sinful, being boastful and gossip and slander and being envious and greed. Yes, he considers that a deprived mind. I mean, with such a list, we all are in deep trouble, aren't we? And that's the point. Romans 1 is trying to kind of say, listen, all of you are going down and going down fast these things start becoming embedded in who we are. We just agree, we full agree, we have envy. You know, we're prideful. We just like to gossip, you know? We start justifying things in our mind. That's just the way we are, and that is the way you are. You know, uh, all of us are on this downward slide. All of us facing the judgment of sin. I think we have a diagram here. This is just kind of a, you know, uh, just to kind of show this is real brief 
you know, starts off just by being ungrateful. And then we start be, then we're professing to be wise. We, you know, man, we can do anything we want. That's basically humanism. And then from there it goes to impurity. And then from there it goes to degrading passions. And then from there it goes to our minds have just been infiltrated by things like greed and slander and, and uh, um, being unloving and gossip and, you know, pride and strife. It just becomes who we are. Now, I think we should probably say this downhill spiral, it's different with different people. So it's not like you can kind of go through, okay, here's 15 steps, you know, you're on number 12, you're in number 15, you're in real bad shape, oh, you're only in number two. It, it, it's not like that, you know. Even different cultures and various institutions, it's going to vary. But the world, but this passage does describe the world today. At all ages, we're on a downhill slide. And with time, sin only increases in us. And that slide cannot be stopped. That should frighten us for ourselves and for others. You know, sure, we may be able to do some things to change some external things. Okay, I'm quitting smoking, or I'm doing this, you know. But that last part of the list, where it talks about envy and strife and deceit and gossips and arrogant and boastful, disobedient to parents, all that, that is, that becomes part of us. It, we are... We're on a downward slide like an avalanche, and we cannot reverse it. You could look at it this way. We're on a train that has lost its brakes, going downhill, and it's getting faster and faster and faster. And someone kind of says, guess what? In another half a mile, there's a big cliff. You think, what are we going to do? Do you see a need for a savior? Do you, need, do you see a need to be rescued? We need something powerful, don't we? Like the gospel. In fact, only the gospel is powerful enough to kind of stop that avalanche in our life. Now you might say, I'm a Christian. Does this apply to me? The principles of sin still kind of apply to you. Because the gospel can change Sin still can work its number in us even if we've accepted the Lord. And we have, and that's why the gospel, the power of the gospel, the message of the gospel we're going to be talking about in the next couple of months, it can stop that avalanche that's going on inside of us. It's the only thing. You can read all sorts of books. You can go around the world traveling. You can kind of go and get three PhDs. You can do, you can try to be good. You can kind of, you can, uh, you know, uh, crawl on your knees three miles, you know. You can do whatever you want. It's not going to stop that avalanche of sin. Only the gospel is powerful enough to die. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Only it. We need to be rescued. That's the bad news. 
the bad news is that we can't do anything. Nobody can. We're all in this boat. And that's the message of Romans 1. And by the way, we will get more, we will see more next week too. More bad news. And then we start getting to the good news. But we have to see the bad news before we can see the good news. Right? So we need to ask the Lord to open our eyes to see the, the sinfulness, the corruptness of this world. We need to have the Lord show us the contrast. Because a lot of us, we don't see the contrast. We see our Christian life and we see our life in the world and they kind of mix in together. There's a contrast. And may the Lord lead us to repentance. Repentance can only come, by the way, if we have our eyes open to the bad news. Otherwise, why repent? Let's pray. Father, we, we're, we're looking at the bad news, and Lord, it is bad. In fact, Lord, we're all, we're all, if you're removed from the picture, we all are on that runaway train. We're all in that avalanche of sin, and we're just getting further and further. We're getting deeper and deeper and faster and faster. And, and uh, Lord, we need to be rescued. Our neighbors, our co-workers, fellow students, they need to be rescued. Lord, open our eyes to that. Let us see how this world is so corrupt. And on the other hand, Lord, we, want to, we are asking you to give us a fresh revelation of your righteousness, of the gospel in the weeks and months to come. Lord, we want to have such a revelation of it that it's going to cause us to invest everything we have in your kingdom. It's going to cause us to go out and kind of tell people that there's sharks in the water. We are all falling down that spiral of sin. And sadly, many people don't even know it. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would open eyes to all those who do not know you here in this county and around here, that they would see that they're, that they're going down this spiral and they're going down quickly. Lord, we ask that you would give us revelation of these things. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.